You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host Nilin. This is a show where we talk about all things real estate, home staging, how to create a vibrant and thriving home staging business. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 167. Hey guys, as you know, Seventeen Hats was our main sponsor at SagerCon 2021. We recommend Seventeen Hats because it was a critical part of our home staging business and free us up from lots of paperwork, admin, and chasing clients with emails. So that we can focus on what we love to do, which is staging. If you're like us, you probably didn't go into the business for the paperwork. You know, all those invoices, emails, reminders, to dos, and just the incessant chasing after client for paperwork. So that's where Seventeen Hats comes in for us. It's like you cloned yourself. Their all-in-one platform automates your staging business. Seventeen Hats handles the tedious stuff like payment reminders, capturing leads, proposal invoicing, and even scheduling. We actually created a resource guide for you on our site. Just go to sagetrimmer.com/slash-seventeen-hats and find out more about how we use Seventeen Hats in our home staging business. If you're a current Seventeen Hats user, we would love to hear about your story too. You can submit your Seventeen Hats story on our site at sagetrimmer.com/slash-seventeen-hats. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Home Staging Show. So, just a quick reminder: we do have a Black Friday sale coming up. You're going to be able to save twenty to forty percent on selected courses like Workflow, Occupy Staging, Staging Short-Term Rentals like Airbnb, and also our five-figure floor plan business foundation course. If you're interested, be sure to get on our newsletter, which you can find by going to the bottom of our website. Just go to stagemore.com or follow us on Instagram at stagemore. Today, my guest Tanya Thomas is a founder of Team Delegate, a provider of elite virtual executive assistant support to seasoned executives turned small business owners. Tanya is a speaker, twenty plus years of business owner, host of the Unbottleneck Your Business podcast, and has been featured in national media, including Entrepreneur and Block Enterprise. She excels in helping CEOs grow their team from one employee to fifty. Lead multi-million-dollar revenue growth and also frees up their time to oversee major expansion projects. So at the school, we actually get quite a few questions about getting more help in your staging business, especially on the admin side and also hiring a virtual assistant. So I thought having someone like Tanya would be great to be on the show, so you can start learning how to delegate admin tasks and also how to hire a virtual assistant, so you can stay focused on the higher level side of your business. Like developing relationship with your staging clients. If you ever have any ideas or suggestions about the show, feel free to DM us on Instagram at sageformore, or just leave a comment on the show notes. This is going to help us tremendously in getting guests as well to make sure we are really providing the content that serve you and your staging business. All right, let's start the show. Welcome to the show. Before we got started today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also a little bit about your business? Sure. Hi, Cindy, and thank you for having me. Of course, I'm Tanya Thomas. I'm the founder and CEO of Team Delegate, and we're an executive virtual assistant company. So we provide remote executive assistant services to small business owners and entrepreneurs. Anything from managing their schedule, their inboxes, arranging travel, maybe helping with client care. Anything to support them to be able to help them be able to focus in other areas of their business and not their admin portion. I love that. And so, what was your background before becoming a virtual assistant? Actually, you know, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. 
when I was in my 20s, I wanted to start a business, actually a staffing company, but my husband and I traveled for his work at the time. So we moved every couple of years. And after I had my first son, I was online searching for the search and came across a training program to be a virtual assistant. This was in 2000. Took that training program and I've been doing it ever since. But prior to that, I was working actually for the company that my husband worked for because we moved all the time. So I did administrative support type services as well. And for those of our audience who may not be familiar with the virtual assistants, I think in the staging industry, people most likely are still a little bit unfamiliar with the concept. So can you explain what exactly is a VA? What do they do and how do they normally work? Sure. A virtual assistant is an executive or administrative assistant person who does admin support services, but they're done remotely. They don't go on site and they provide their services usually on a freelance type basis to provide support to help people in their businesses with you know whatever support that they need but for us we mainly focus on the executive assistant support but some you know virtual assistants like to do marketing things and so they'll help with a lot of maybe newsletters getting those out, maybe social media, you know, that type of thing. So whatever it is that people kind of feel that they aren't very good at doing or don't have the time to do, they could outsource that to a virtual assistant. And can you tell a little bit about your services? Because you mentioned you are on the executive level. So how Mm -hmm. does that differ than normal virtual assistants? And it's primarily the same, like I was trying to drive it a little bit earlier. Like I said, I guess, and I'll just put it this way. When I first started out, I did probably a bit more of the marketing support stuff. Like I said, helping people get their newsletters out. Social media was a little new back 20 years ago, so it wasn't a whole lot of that. But mainly, again, what we usually do is, like I said, our main support services are like helping people manage their calendar, their email inboxes, if they travel, you know, help them make those travel arrangements, maybe helping them with client care. So onboarding their clients, like if their clients need whatever documentation and stuff they need to be onboarded with that person as a new client, the assistant helps send those out and kind of facilitates the process to make sure that the clients get onboarded. Also, maybe invoicing, sending those out, PowerPoint decks, helping get those maybe created or updated if the client speaks and needs that type of support. And those are just pretty much the main support areas that we provide, which is a bit more on the administrative side. And why is delegating so critical for business growth? It's huge because a lot of times what people don't realize is it helps create consistency. So I like to use a lot of things, for example. So say, for example, you have a a specific task. Maybe it's something that you do or want to do on a daily basis. Maybe it's some research that you need done. And that research is going to help you grow and develop your business. Well, you may not like doing it. 
You may say, for example, I'm going to spend an hour each day doing this research. Well, you may start out doing it, but typically you end up getting pulled in other areas of your business and that research doesn't get done consistently. Well, then you may not hit the goals that you wanted to reach in your business because that research hadn't been done consistently. Well, if you were to delegate that, then that would help make sure that it was done on a consistent basis. And somebody else is doing that, that probably is a bit more efficient at doing it than you are anyway. And so you're going to reach that goal because you've given it to someone else that's going to take care of it on the schedule, on the daily basis that you wanted to do it. And it allows you to focus somewhere else. So that's why delegation is key, because I think it also helps to be able to create that consistency and help you reach your goals that much faster because you can't do everything on your own. Because again, like I said, a lot of times you get pulled in other areas and there's just no consistency there and you can't do it all. But bringing in another person doubles your time. Like I always like to say, we help our clients double their productivity so they can triple their earnings. So you got another person, then yeah, you're doubling your productivity and that's going to help have better output. And so what point in our business should we start delegating out? Because I think most stagers usually start as a one-person business, and obviously they get very overwhelmed and they start hiring. But I think one of the common mistakes people make is, well, let me just get a warm body in. I'm wondering if there's an ideal time to know when we need to start delegating and what are some of the things that we can start outsourcing to a virtual assistant? Sure. When you begin to feel that frustration, Maybe you have a to-do list. You create your to-do list because you're trying to be organized and on point. But if you begin to realize at the end of each day, tasks are still on that to-do list and it's becoming a pattern because you're not getting to everything that's on it. And then you're also beginning to feel frustrated because you're not able to accomplish everything that you want to accomplish each week or, or whatnot then it's time to begin to think, okay, it's time to maybe bring somebody else in because I'm obviously, I'm at the point where I'm at capacity. I'm not able to accomplish all of these things, but yet they need to be done. And so then when you're thinking about bringing someone on, you also want to take into account, okay, number one, what do I need support with? What are these things on this to-do list that aren't getting done? Are these things that someone else can do? or only I can do. So you make that determination there and decide what those things are. And then secondly, you also want to know, okay, what outcome do I want to achieve as a result of somebody coming on? What are those outcomes that I want to have happen? Because then that's how you're going to know whether or not it's being successful. Because when you bring someone onto your team, if that's a virtual assistant, which is usually somebody's first hire, you want to make sure that you get a return on your investment because it is an investment. And I think that's another way to look at it too. You're making an investment in your business. And so you want to make sure and want to know that you're getting a return on that. Am I reaching the goals I want to reach by bringing this person on? Because if that's not happening, then either you need to rethink it. And a lot of times I'd say, look internally and yourself as to why maybe it didn't work. And so those are the two areas that I would say, yeah, of course, knowing what you're going to give and then knowing what outcome you want to reach as a result of bringing the person on board. 
That's right. So earlier you mentioned that as a business owner, you look at what you can and what you cannot delegate. So can you talk a little bit about what those things are? Yeah, and so it's going to be different for everybody because, of course, everybody's business is different. So usually when I tell people, like I use the example of the task list, and if you don't do a task list, then maybe for a week or something like that, have a notebook on your desk and jot down what you have to be intentional about doing this. And a lot of people don't like the exercise, but that's only the only way to say because it's hard to say you can name out some things that people can delegate. But again, like I said, everybody's business is different. So to kind of customize that, I always suggest having like a notepad or something on your desk and be intentional for maybe at least a week what you're doing. So write down, you know, when you start your day, okay, it's 830 or whatever, I'm checking email. And then when you get ready to move on to something else, okay, I'm doing X, Y, Z, write that down. And so at the end of the week, then you have a list of what you're doing. Then you take that list and then you want to look at it, like I mentioned earlier, and then decide what on this list can somebody else do? And then what on this list, you know, do I have to keep? And most of the time, if you're a service-based business, maybe if you're a coach or something, of course, they can't coach your clients. So obviously that's something you're going to, to keep the actual service. But a lot of the stuff you probably would be able to get someone else to be able to do. I love that. I think a lot of home stagers feel intimidated or hesitant in outsourcing because they may have fear about, well, they're not going to do it correctly, or they just have trust issues. And I, it's funny because we just did a stagers retreat in Italy, actually, for stagers who've been in the business for a while and they're ready to scale their business. And a lot of things, the, the bottleneck, I think, usually actually is the owner themselves because it's their fear, whatever it is that's holding them back and it's stopping them from growing their businesses. So how do we let go as business owners and start delegating and really start finding the right people to work in our business? Sure. I always tell people to start small, but the main thing is, what do you want? And I know I brought that. So how bad do you want this? Because you have to realize, too, like I said, at some point, you're only one person. And so the fear piece of it, I think that's where you have to, to go. So it's either, you know, I want to grow or I want to stay where I am. And the only way to grow and scale is other additional people. And so just having that mindset is where you have to begin. And then as it relates to whether or not somebody would do the whatever it is that you need done correctly. One thing that, and if you have a particular process for how you do something, some people do and some people really don't. So if you have a particular process for how you do something, then you're going to have to share whatever that is with the person to ensure that they follow the process and follow the way that you you want it done. So I wouldn't let that, though. Sometimes people use that as a realm to hold them back because they'll say, well, you know, I don't have that written out or whatnot. But you can still verbally tell that to someone. So the only thing then you could do is maybe meet with the assistant daily, maybe the first four or five days or however long it's going to take for you to tell them for them to take notes on, you know, what it is that you need for them to do. 
and just communicate. Make sure you have maybe checkpoints. You know, here's this task. I've given it is what you want to do. So we'll check back in. Let's have a meeting three days from now or two days from now, and we'll talk about progress, questions that you may have, anything like that. But the main thing is making yourself available. You can't abdicate is basically what I'm saying when you delegate. So you really want to delegate and not just give it to somebody and then here you go. And then don't, you know, communicate any further. Then they're kind of left out on our island by themselves with no support. Yeah, I think that support is a big thing, especially when you work remotely. It's not like you just walk over to the next office and then talk to them about that. And I think that is a challenge in a way with team members working remotely. Can you talk a little bit about what are some of the best practices to work with remote team members? And then also maybe like what is the best way to manage them? Because for us, for example, we work all virtually and sometimes it is difficult because obviously working with virtual assistant, a lot of times you're not their only client. I would say most of the time you're not their only client. So if you have someone who, you know, if you have very small volume, for example, you only need maybe five hours per week instead of someone who's like 40, then you're not really prioritized in terms of like their schedule and things like that. So it might not be immediate when they get back to you or things like that. So what do you recommend in terms of best practice when it comes to working with a virtual staff? Communication, like I mentioned, is key, I think, especially when you're remote. I know a lot of times people get busy and that that's challenging, but making sure that you put that on your calendar to check in and have those meetings because it helps the other person too. I've been on the other side as being the assistant and I'll share, I guess, the story too. I had a client that when I first started working with him, he was straight from corporate. You know, he had had EAs all the time that he had been in there and he had, you know, left corporate to start his company. And so he had heard of virtual assistants and reached out to me. And so I was working with him. And so what he wanted to do was he was like, well, I'll, I'm going to call you every day. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't know if I really want to be talking every single day, but I did that. That was what he wanted to do. That was what we did. But over time, I will say out of the clients that I had, I knew him best and I was able to support him better than any other client I ever had. And that's where I learned then that communication is really where it's at when you're working remotely. I don't think you really need to talk daily, but that communication piece is there because you get an opportunity to know the other person. They get to know you. You're really talking and, and they're sharing their needs. And so you learn their needs and to the point where you can anticipate them because you know their work style. And so I think that one is really key. And then in terms of, I think you mentioned about if you're working with a a virtual assistant and they have other accounts, that's just kind of dependent upon the individual. I never did that because I think when you're providing support, and that's the same thing that I coach my team on. You want to support people regardless of whether they're a smaller account or a larger one. I mean, service is service, and if people aren't getting the service that they want, they'll take it somewhere else. So in terms of that, I think that's how you have to kind of look at it. 
So if they're slow to get back to you and things like that, really they're not giving you 100%. So I don't know if that, the only thing I can say to that is I think I would probably not want to, you know, that's up to the person whether or not they want to keep giving them their business. I love that. And I think that is really important too, right? Setting the right expectation and then be very upfront and transparent in terms of communications. After all, especially I think when you're in the remote situation, communication really needs to be on point and everything needs to be on the same page so that both of you can work efficiently and work together well. Are there any tools or technology that you use to make sure you guys are on the same page? I know a lot of teams use things like Slack. We use Notion, for example. Are there things that you recommend for teams, especially working remotely, to stay in touch and be able to communicate with each other effectively? Yes, I'm big on project management platforms. That's what we use as a remote team. That's very helpful to keep everything in one place. But outside of that, then we're just the traditional Zoom and for communication. I think like from a remote standpoint, always face-to-face. Because like we mentioned earlier, you know, you can't, you can't see people. And I like to be able to see, you know, people's face, face-to-face when we're talking, we're communicating. So cameras are always on. Every time we meet, my team knows it's going to be by Zoom. Cameras have to be on. So we use that. We use Zoom a lot. Email, the project management platform. It seems minimal, but I'm the type of person, I like to keep it, keep it simple and minimal and not, you know, use too many different technologies to keep it easy on everybody. But those three things have been paramount in working remotely with my team. I love that. What are some of the common mistakes that you see when it comes to working with virtual assistants or team members who work remotely? The common mistakes that I see, and I guess that's what your question is when people are working with virtual assistants, is that the question with some of the common mistakes? Yeah. One of the things for us, for example, we've encountered is that because the position is remote, right? In a way, it's really easy for them to ghost you. So maybe they were performing great for a long time and all of a sudden something will happen and they just disappeared. You email them or you Voxer them or you send messages and slot them and they just don't respond to you. What are some of the things that we can do as business owners to prevent from things, things like that from happening, basically? Mm, Good question. And I used to hear of that when I was actually being a virtual assistant myself. Really, when someone is doing that, there's not a whole lot that you can do about it, I guess, because if they're basically disappearing on you, like I said, that's not them being that engaged. And so the only thing that I know of, I guess, is when you're first looking to work with someone, you want to find out, you know, what's their, how do they like to communicate? Email, Slack, you know, what's your communication preference? What are your hours of operation? Are you strictly business hours or do you respond outside of business hours, weekends, or or do they not do any of that? So knowing what their business hours are and then just kind of talking to them and asking them, how do they hold themselves accountable to do the work since they're working on their own, you know, what are some of the things that you do to hold yourself accountable? 
just kind of having your set of questions, because if you know in your mind the type of person that you're looking for, and then the other thing is, too, if they have testimonials, you know, on their site, case studies, things of that nature, people that they've worked with and helped in the past is also helpful also. So just kind of doing your upfront work and research on them to see, you know, what type of person, you know, they are and how they, like I said, helped people in the past, because that will say a lot about them and kind of, you know, maybe what's their background as well. What were they doing prior to getting into the virtual assistant field? Because you have a lot of people too, I think now that get into the field that had no prior executive or administrative assistance prior to that. I think that makes a difference as well. So then that lets you know whether or not that person truly enjoys doing that type of work if they've been in the field prior to, to doing it. So those are some of the things that I would say to do to try to help offset it falling off the rails down the road. I love that. I think it's really important to see if we can figure out red flags early on. Are there common red flags that you see for virtual assistants when it comes to a hiring process? One of them I mentioned, like I said, about the background piece and then kind of, you know, because I feel like if somebody is wanting to get into this field, then they should have that background. Again, that lets you know whether or not this is something they have experience doing and that they enjoy doing. So that would be probably one of the big ones to me if, if that wasn't their prior background, because then you kind of wonder what makes you tick? Why this field? Why virtual assistants for you? And then they can tell you, you know, whether or not why they chose to even try to make the switch and change. Because I think it's very similar. The difference is, I think, having the ability to be able to work and do it remotely and have the accountability to be able to hold yourself accountable to meet the needs of your clients. And so those are big areas there. And those would be the things that I would look for. And then how do we create longevity when it comes to working with your virtual assistant? I think being clear on outcomes and goals with them, you know, sharing with them what you would like to get out of the working relationship and talking with them about that. Also, like I said, delegating, truly delegating and not abdicating. So when you delegate, make sure that they're comfortable with what you're delegating, giving it to them, that they have, you know, everything that they need and making yourself available for them. In the beginning, it is a little bit of work on your side too, but, you know, it pays off down the road. So those are the things that I would say that would be helpful in making the relationship work. It's simple, not really, you know, hard. Like I said, just following those things, I think, helps create longevity in the, the working relationship. Right. And I bet that one of your strengths is actually helping CEOs to grow from a team of one to 50. Can you talk a little bit about that process? How do we find the right people to grow our businesses? Sure. So, for example, we had a client that came to us I think at the time, it may have been him and one other person. He was struggling to manage his calendar. He couldn't, you know, get people on it. He, his email was 
slipping through the cracks because there were things that he couldn't, you know, get to. And we paired him with an assistant who was able to, he could then say, my assistant, she'll get you copied on this email. She'll get you on my calendar. The assistant created a system to be able to alert him to high and mid priority emails. That stuff was huge for him. So he was able to then move and grow his business. Eventually he, you know, gave her other duties, other things for her to do. But four years later, he has, I think, maybe 20 something employees. And he said, you know, that was instrumental in helping him to be able to do that because he had someone who was able to kind of be his right hand person that he could trust to delegate things to. And that allowed him to be able to focus his attention on his zone of genius. He was a a consultant. So that allowed him to be able to focus it on there and his business began to grow. So just being able to find that, that a strong assistant can really make a big difference. And it's just being, having the ability to be able to find that person who cares and who's going to be vested in, in helping you get from point A to point B. And how do people usually find virtual assistant? Do they just Google? Because there's a lot of people who freelance, right? And there's people like you who have an agency. So what is the best way to find the right virtual assistant? And the other thing too is there are many specializations that you talk about earlier. There's also real estate virtual assistants. So yeah, so where do we find them? Mm, that's a good, good question. So now with me, with the agency... <laughs> That's probably one of the benefits of working with an agency because we basically do that for you. But if you didn't want to go with an agency, I would say maybe asking around. That's probably one of the biggest things to do referral. You know, asking colleagues who they've used, who they know, that's helpful. Trying to think of something else because it's difficult for me since I've what my line of work is, Cindy. So yeah, but like I said, that's the benefit, I guess, of, like I said, an agency because we find them for you and we do all the legwork. And so that's helpful too. So you got that route to go as well. But other than that, I think the safe thing probably is just referral and, and asking around. I think it's interesting you said that you find them for us because I I thought as an agency, you just have X number of virtual assistants you employ, but it's not, it doesn't sound like that's the case. You actually look for the right virtual assistant for your clients. Is that right? Well, we try to customize it. So that's the reason why I said we find them for you. They are a part of our team and they work for my company, but we do try to customize it so that the fit is good. And not just anybody that's available, you get the next person. That's not the model that I follow. So yeah, it is true with an agency. So when you come to at least ours, then we're going to try to do a custom fit for someone on our team to be able to work with you. Got it. And then what are some of the benefits of scaling our businesses? I think this is the interesting thing about business, right? Because when you first started, people were like, yeah, you should go for six figure, seven figure, whatever it is, right? But when you actually start working in the business, you're working on your business, you realize to scale your business, 
sure, like your revenue grows, but your problem also grow a bit bigger. So let's talk a little bit about that because I think it's funny because I just come off doing our retreat where we were working with business owners, staging business owners who really want to grow their businesses. But I think at some point, the important thing is having the clarity about how big do we want our business to be, right? Because everyone has an ideal lifestyle and that might look very different for everyone. Some people got into business because they want to support their family. They want to spend more time with their family. So for them, having a million dollar business is not really that attractive for them. Whereas for some people, their mindset is really to just grow it bigger and bigger and bigger. So from your experience in helping people grow their businesses and adding team members to it, what are some of the benefits of scaling our businesses? I think one of the the benefits is that it can actually, if done properly, create more space for you. But, you know, you're going to have to, as you and I know, have the right people in place. If you don't have the right people in place, then, yeah, it can become crazy and a headache. So I think in terms of that, so for me, I would say I stayed a solo entrepreneur for years. And I remember I was having this conversation and that was what I wanted. Like you said, when I first started out, it was for me to have that time and space as I was, my family was younger and I was having a conversation with a coach and this was probably 2009 or something. And she said, you know, you don't have a business. You just have a job you've created for yourself. And I didn't, I'm like, what are you talking about? I do have a business. I mean, I've got website clients, you know, I've got a business. And then probably fast forward 2013 or so, my mindset changed. I didn't fully enjoy what I was doing anymore, but I didn't know why. And I began to think, you know, do I want to do something else or what's going on here? So after a couple of years of kind of being in that space, her words came back to me and I knew exactly what she meant. And I no longer wanted to be that technician anymore. And that was when I decided that I wanted to try and scale. Well, you know, there's a lot more to it that goes into that because my husband's like, well, you know, if you want to do that, now you got to be managing people. And, you know, he's been in a managerial role in corporate. He's like, I don't want to do that. And so I listen, you know, I still, this is still what I wanted to do. And so just based upon personal experience, it can work and it can be good, but you have to map out the process, you know, map out from a people standpoint, who do I need? And what skill set do they need? Where am I going to find them? So having those things mapped out in the beginning and, you know, when you're going to bring each person on is helpful. It can be seem overwhelming, but I think as long as you try to do it in an organized fashion and have that clarity there and have parameters in place in terms of what the management piece even looks like, how are you going to do it? So just laying out all those processes, because I probably spent close to, I don't know, maybe a year mapping everything out. But that's just me because I'm a process creator. But that was helpful. And so that's what I would say. And so maybe if that's not you, then maybe you could get some support from somebody to help you lay it out and map it out that way so that it doesn't seem overwhelming and create your timeline for how you're going to go about 
doing the process and scaling, scaling the process. Yeah, I love that because I think one of the things I really focus on when we teach business models or scaling the business is really about what you want as a business owner, you know, the type of lifestyle you want, the type of business that you want, and how can you essentially visualize what it looks like five years or three years from now and then work backwards, right? Because I think it's really important to have that clarity around what you want then you can figure out strategies to get what you want. So it's not really about the cookie cutter way or the cookie cutter business model that I think a lot of my competitors, like the more traditional schools are teaching. You know, when I first started staging, it was very cookie cutter. You're either a vacant stager or you're occupied stager or you just do consultations. But now really we see a lot of hybrids in the marketplace. And I also think that, time really has changed. And especially I think after pandemic, people are really reevaluating what work means for them. And especially realizing how much time we're spending at work and we should actually feel happy about that. It should be a fulfilling process, not something we just dread waking up for. So I think it's important to have those kind of clarity before you decide, okay, I want to go to the next step. I want to up-level it or whatever it is. But, and also just, be comfortable with the decision that you make as well. And knowing that it can also change. I think that was a really good example that you shared that, wait a minute, after a few years, you're like, actually, I want something else now. And that is totally okay. But ultimately, we need to know what we want so that we can create a better business for ourselves. Right, right. I agree. And are there mistakes that you see or people should avoid when they're scaling their business? Yes, I would say this is one thing I guess that I never thought, and that's leadership. That was something that never occurred to me. I don't know why, but I would say making sure that you find out what type of leader you are, maybe pick up some books on leadership or something like that, because When you're scaling, that puts you in a leadership position. And that was something that had just never occurred to me. And I had, you know, people trying to tell me, well, you should do this or you should do that or you're not doing enough of this or that. And for a while that had me conflicted. And I just had to realize, you know, that's them and that's their leadership style. That's not mine. I have to, you know, be who I am. And regardless of what other people think, based upon what other people think. So that's probably a big one there that I would say that people should take into consideration because you're the person, you know, driving everything. And so just making sure that you're comfortable in your skin in terms of the type of leader that you want to be. And I think that's what particularly stands out for me at the moment. Yeah, And it's interesting because your business is really about delegating in a way and also creating more time in our business, especially I think with service-based business, we're essentially trading time for money, right? So in order to make more money, make more income from business, we need to basically get more time. And that's why we need to hire, we need to delegate. And I think service-based business in general is a team sport. I mean, you definitely cannot live a sofa by yourself. I mean, I met a few women can, but it's very, very rare. I definitely cannot. I need someone there. So 
So I'm not dropping sofa on my left toe, which I've done several <laughs> times on the same plays, which is not great, but it's definitely a team sport. And I think as your business grows, we need to start really thinking like as CEOs essentially, because we really need to visualize what we want for the business. What is a vision for it? So how can we carve out time to strategize our skill and growth plan? Sure, that's a good question there too. Finding, making sure that you block out that time and finding a quiet space. So some suggestions that I typically give is time blocking for that. You know, making that a priority and putting that on your calendar. And I'll give examples of things that I do. Another thing that I do too is I take a, a retreat on quarterly basis. And I'll go to a local hotel for a couple of days. And that helps me tremendously because, you know, there's no other distractions. It's just me, a notebook, and I'm, you know, coming up with ideas and then looking at processes that need to be corrected or added or removed. But that's always super helpful for me to do to be able to get away. Quiet time works. If you can't get away like that, if there's times or pockets where there's no other distractions. Maybe you, it's early in the morning for you before everybody else gets up. You know, maybe you can arise early for a few days. But having that time like that and, and, and being intentional about it, and like I said, putting that on your schedule to do it is very helpful because it's hard to try to think and strategize when emails are coming, phones ringing. It makes it difficult. But having that quality, that quiet time space to just be able to think is going to help tremendously in terms of you being able to have that focus time for your mindfulness and your strategy building. Yeah, I agree. That's why actually we start adding retreat into our business models, because sometimes you just need to be away from the day to day, whether it's your personal life or your work life. Sometimes you just need to get away from clients to actually start thinking <laughs> about strategizing for the business. And I seen that last week as well, when we had our first retreat in Italy, actually it's our first international retreat. And that was one of the common feedbacks. Like people feel finally, wow, like I really need to step away from that day to day to really see what is going on in my business. And now that I've the time and the space to think, I can really focus on developing that action plan to execute the vision and the business I want. So I love the idea of just going to a hotel for a couple of days. I know a lot of writers do it as well. I read that Maya Angelou does that when she's working on her new book. She just goes to a hotel and all she does is write because she, that's where she finds peace and quiet, essentially, to really concentrate on what she wants to do. And one of the things we actually talk about in our retreat was creating a CEO day. So that could just be your vision work, or that could be, you know, in the morning, maybe you catch up on all the financial, all the dashboard things, making sure you're monitoring your systems and processes and feedback from your employees or team members or contractors. And really on the vision work, are we getting closer to the vision and what is the action right now? And kind of reevaluating, are we doing the right thing? And maybe do that. You know, I do that weekly, but you can do that definitely quarterly or even monthly to really monitor the health of your staging business. Right. 
good ideas. Yeah, because you're right that you have to carve out that time in order to make sure that you continue moving forward. So you're not always just working, as they say, in the business, but definitely working on it. Yeah. And knowing what we want for the future for our business, what is your recommendation on figuring out a plan of action to create that future for our businesses? So, yeah, like we just kind of talked about, definitely setting goals and then not only setting the goals, but creating an execution plan. So maybe that is when you have that time to get away when you're thinking create your execution plan, put dates on it. You know, how are you going to make this happen? Because one thing is having the goals, but if you don't have the execution for how you're going to reach them, chances are slim as you and I know that you're going to be able to do that. The other thing is, I think you've alluded to, you know, mastermind coming together with other like-minded business owners too, that's going to help hold you accountable that's always helpful for me because obviously you don't want to go into the meetings and come back and you haven't done anything that you said you were going to do the last time that you met. And so that helps hold you accountable to doing, you know, some of the goals and stuff that you want to accomplish to keep making sure that you're moving your business forward. Right. And as we're coming to the end of our show, what is the number one tip that you'll give to homestagers when it comes to outsourcing our work to a virtual assistant or a virtual remote team member? Definitely. Step one is, is doing it, you know, making sure that you execute when you decide that you need the help. Don't let anything hold you back because a good support person is going to be able to help you. I use the analogy, sometimes people say, well, if you use that, hired someone to clean your home and you kind of run around thinking you got to straighten up before the housekeeper comes to clean. Some people feel that way when it comes to delegating. They feel like they have to be prepared and organized. Well, a good executive virtual assistant is going to be able to get you organized. That's the purpose of working with them. So that's what I would say is find that person who's going to be able to help you get on track and help you get organized and, and make it easy for you to be able to delegate to them so that you can move your business forward. I love that. Thank you so much for being on the show today. That was fantastic. Thank you for having me. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com slash podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging. Happy staging.